Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to We Have a Take the What podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and I am joined today by Roselle Harding. Hello, Rose. How are you doing today? Hi, Tara. How are you doing? Pretty good. Sunshine and waiting for the rain to start. It's weird for us to be saying that in November. It is, as like Oregonians, we're like, oh, when is this rain going to start? Mm-hmm. But now it's just sunny and cold, like it's the Midwest or something. Yeah, and windy, and yeah. I tried to get the leaves leaves raked yesterday so that they wouldn't be all wet by the time I finally put them in the um, in the recycle or the in the yard debris bucket. But let's not talk about household chores. Let's start with our icebreaker. How about since we've finally seen them, what are your rea- what are reactions to the new jerseys? And I know that everybody has like had all kinds of things to say about the jerseys, but I want to know what you think about the jerseys. Okay, so first I was like, oh, really? We're doing this now? And I, you know, I had this immediate reaction where I was like, I felt like they should have done it immediately when everybody was like, Portland carpet, whatever. And then like, and if they, when they didn't do it then, I was like, well, okay, maybe they'll wait like 10 or 15 years and then they'll do it. But no, they did it like, I don't know, six years later or whatever, which sort of feels like a weird in-between time. But all that aside of timing, I actually think they look great on TV. I love the big PDX on the front. I think that like the contrast looks really nice, which is like sort of my gripe if people follow me on Twitter. It's sort of my gripe about some of the red and black um, uniforms because I don't think that they really pop with black on red. And I think that like embracing that big white font of the PDX looks really great on TV. That's what I think. What do you think? I'm with you. I think they look great. I was surprised. I saw them on TV first and I was like, oh, wow. And yeah, it's weird that they're teal blue. But like you said, they pop and they're still clearly Portland. And I've been thinking about this that um, compared to all, you know, all 29 other of the I don't know, city edition jerseys. I think this one outshines all of them. And especially after I saw it in person. And I think like the thing that Portland has about their uniforms that is unique is the sash. Like nobody else has a sash, right? Am I correct about that? I don't think anybody else really has a sash. And, you know, they've adopted it, you know, and and I kind of think that like, if they're going to just do sort of like the lazy every year, they're going to just like switch something out that Portland is lucky in that they have that unique feature, which is the sash, which they could just be switching out the sash. Like I think the, the Oregon ones from a couple years ago that were so controversial, the Brown ones, I think that could have been cool with a sash. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you. And I'm trying to, I'm kind of racking my brain right now to think if I can remember any other team with a sash. I don't think there are, there's like, there's like a couple teams that have like pinstripe a pinstripe look and I feel like a very popular look um is that like really old school like varsity block font that like the Bulls and like the Celtics have mm-hmm. and to me they're boring and everybody likes them because they look classic but I think you only like them because they're from like the they're like the font of the era where those teams were really great mm-hmm. and like that's what makes them feel really classic but like outside of that I'm going to say it. They're boring. The font is boring. The look is boring. You could just like switch up the colors any which way. And I probably wouldn't notice that you did much. Mm-hmm. I just think that like, I, I think that the teams that have made the biggest impacts are the teams that like kind of went bigger, went home. Mm-hmm. You know, they like the Miami Jersey, when they did the Miami vice Jersey, that was great. They wrote it a little too far 
in my opinion. They like they like beat that one into the ground. But like, you know, the first iteration of it was amazing. It looked really good. It felt very like Miami and it did not like it didn't exactly like go to any of the design elements of that team at all. But everybody knew exactly what it was because those colors invoked Miami without it being the Miami heat. Mm -hmm. And like some of the other teams, it's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if you feel this way, but like, I feel like the colors this year are very weird. A lot of the teams look like they've borrowed each other's shades of colors. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and that, and that was like enough that they switched up. Like, like there was like a Jersey, they're wearing a Jersey that they could have worn in any other season, but like the blue is slightly off (laughs) or like the, like the yellow is slightly off. And I was like, who decided this? Like, yeah, I forget who it is. Somebody looks like the Pacers. Somebody looks like the Pacers that isn't the Pacers. And I don't remember who it is now. Yeah. And somebody looks like Milwaukee, who's not Milwaukee. Somebody looks like Minnesota, who's not Minnesota. It's just it's just all over the place. I think Portland got pretty lucky in just like having the basic design. And that while the color scheme was switched up, it didn't like take away from the overall feel of what, you know, Portland is looks like. And I'm just waiting for them to like write out this contract and bring me back the red set with the multicolored sash i just want that one back <laughs> the classic red one. jersey that was the my adidas favorite one, the adidas mm-hmm. red sash it was so good yeah and it was like it had like the thick arm straps mm-hmm. um compared to some of the i think that some of the other ones from adidas didn't ne- weren't necessarily that same like cut like with the neck and stuff right um i think it had a v-neck maybe mm-hmm. um the, the t-shirt jerseys were kind of a weird thing but i can overlook that because the red sash jersey you're right was like that was a hot jersey and i'm yeah. sad i never bought one Mm-hmm. Do you have a red sash jersey? Yeah, I do. I have a Lamarcus Aldridge one. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, I had to look at it to make sure it was red. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's it only, is. There's one other thing I wanted to say about the jersey is that so there's two statement jerseys this year that are airport code jerseys. So there's us, the PDX jersey, which is the Portland airport code, and Charlotte and man. Do we look so much better because they're the other airport code? Because their airport code is CLT. Yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate and hard not to, hard not to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> being on the front of your jersey. <laughs> I just feel like comparatively, we really win that battle of who got the better airport. Even though I think their colors look nice, mm-hmm. but it has that giant CLT on the front. Yeah, that you just can't ignore that. PDX no. is a much safer uh, combination. And yeah, no, I, I think I think we got pretty lucky compared. And I just was like, I, they looked great on TV. And then I saw them in person. And even the ones that like not real players are wearing, they look good on just fans. So that says a lot. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of those out there. So good. moving on from our icebreaker, just like a tiny little piece of news, um, which all the other podcasts I'm sure we'll cover in much more, but just um, in case somebody hasn't had a chance to listen to somebody else already, um, the Blazers signed a new two-way player. They signed Ibu Baji and waived Olivier Saar, which I thought was really interesting because there's a lot of talk about Olivier Saar after preseason. Like he was one of the kind of like, oh, that's a surprise. He was pretty solid in preseason, but um Sadly, he was injured, wasn't available, and now they've signed somebody who, although I guess he's on his way to join the team, is going to be more available if they need him right away. Um, so I don't know if you have any thoughts. I don't. I don't. So I, 
I have to be like totally honest. I don't remember Olivier Saar playing. I didn't watch all the preseason. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about this new guy coming in. And so I just kind of like to like, I don't know, see what they are. Even if even players that come to us that have like a reputation, I still just kind of like to make for my own opinion after seeing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really have an opinion of Olivier Saar. Sorry. Um, and I'll just wait for this new guy to see if, we get a look at him and how I feel about him. Cause I think a lot of guys, sometimes they come into a new situation if they haven't been playing before or they've been playing not so well on another team. And all of a sudden they're like, I have like a rebirth, like a player rebirth. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like, I just want to know what they look like here in Portland in this situation and how they've looked across their career like matters, but it's not going to really like affect how I feel as a fan, I guess. Yeah, and we don't have much on him because um, he is was an undrafted rookie this year. Um, so, and the only the thing that I feel worst about is because um, I love doing the episodes like we're going to do today, where we get to know a player um, who comes to join us. And we hadn't done Olivier Star yet, and I feel so bad. I like, oh, we should have started like with our two guys, <laughs> two way guys, so we could at least know something about them before they were gone. So I'm so sorry, Olivier Star, if you're listening to this, that we never gave you the all about Olivier Star episode. They do have an additional two way player, John Butler, which hopefully we'll be able to get to him because I don't. For, again, I just love getting to know these players, their journey, how they got here, what they went through, and you know thinking about what they can bring to the team and to the community. So Olivier, we hardly knew you, um, you know, best of luck to him and welcome Ibu. Get to know him soon. Um, and then also Damian Lord out with a calf injury again, left the game last night. So we'll just all hold our breath, I guess. They yeah. Cont- that. Ca- Ugh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's like a blow to morale, but like, the reality is, is I'd rather have Dame taking care of his body, which he apparently was not very good at doing, like, over the course of, like, long injuries. Um, I remember the one season he was out a bunch with plantar fasciitis. Uh, that was, like, a really, that was a big blow to that season. But, like, he never just, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like he, he just, like, would, like, play for a while, and then he would take some time off, and then he'd play for a while. And I would just rather him take the time that he needs to like rehab whatever it is is going on. And, you know, the team's playing well. It's got to be so hard to be a uh, a trainer or like, you know, a, a physical trainer specialist with high powered athletes because you depend so much on having people like tell you how much pain they're in to know like what to do. And these guys, like what is pain to somebody who has who does what they do and work as hard as they do and push themselves as hard as they do. Like, how do you even like pain is one is something that's just like so subjective and it depends on whose pain it is. I don't know. It's gotta be really, really hard to draw it out of the, out of those guys and hit that balance where you do let them play through things that they, you should play, play through and don't let them play through things that they need to stop with. Not a job that I would uh, be good at. (laughs) That's for sure. No. And especially like, asking like young men how much pain you're in like i mean i think that there's a lot of young men out there who would downplay the pain that they're in no matter what the situation but especially in professional basketball mm-hmm. who just want to get out there and compete mm-hmm. oh a little little hat, hat tip to our little shaden we've been talking about this offline a little bit of just like how much shaden has improved his uh ability to like do an interview it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like 
what we've seen on the court is like really cool and great. But just like thinking about like all he said for the first two weeks that he was here was just want to get out there and compete. Just want to get out there and compete. And now that he's gotten out there to compete, he's like doing just a, he's just like doing a great job on interviews. I, I just love to see how he's progressing. I want, I'm, I'm dying to know if it's because he just feels more relaxed. Like he's, you know, like he's, He's turned some heads. He's gotten some like really positive attention as a rookie. And I wonder if he's more comfortable or if like his team has decided that because he's making a splash that it's time to like do like some more serious media training. Cause I mean, every player kind of needs that and they kind of develop their, the way that they like to approach interviews. I feel like in the NBA, um, um, but maybe he just hadn't really focused on that aspect of being an NBA player up until they realized he was going to like maybe have to do, post game interviews and you know be on tv and reporters were all going to be writing down every word that he said like he's he's clearly getting playing time he's clearly getting attention and maybe they're like okay it's time yeah i think you up sir i think these guys do get a lot of attention uh from the team to help him feel comfortable and especially like you know when he talks to brooke you know who he's talked to many times before it's he's getting more relaxed because he's comfortable with her and um yeah, who knew that our rookie was going to, you know, be having some of the post-game uh, interviews, not just because it was like his first game, but it was like because he was like the most important contributor of the night. That's so awesome. I know. he's very He's been very poised as he's, you know, played his minutes. I feel like a lot of rookies don't look as comfortable as he's looked very early on. Um and it's, and it's just like crazy to think about the fact that he's probably not even 100% comfortable yet. And we don't even know what like that elite level of comfort is going to look like for him because he's very, looks very comfortable. And I've noticed every once in a while, a little smile on the court when he's done something. Cause you know, he keeps it so buttoned up like Damian Lillard. And every once in a while, like after a dunk, if you, if you look really quick, you'll see him flash just a little tiny smile. So I'm, I hope that also means it's good to see that he's having fun out there as well. It's the tiniest, though, and it's just for a moment. It's so fast. <laughs> it's so fast. You really, really have to be looking for it. It's fun. <laughs> well, shall we move on to the meat of our episode? Yes. So I came here today ready to talk about Jeremy Grant. Can't wait Jeremy- to hear. I know. And, I, you know, I have to say that this was a bit of a journey as I was reading about Jeremy Grant because I really had certain expectations about what I would find about him. And it was very different than what I expected. I mean, I'm over the moon to tell you about Jeremy Grant, but it just wasn't what I expected at all. Well, I'm curious, what did you expect going into it? I thought that he had a little bit of, like, I thought, for one, I thought there would be more about him on fashion. Because we've we've focused a lot about him being in fashion, him walking in fashion week, him being very involved in the fashion world. And that is not what people talk to him about. That is not interviews that he's like, there's not a lot, a ton of interviews out there about him and fashion. Um, that is not where his passions lie. And I was also really pleased to see that there was still so much stuff about him and his family. That wasn't just about how we're all NBA players. Like they, you really got a nice feel for like um, his like family unit and how close they all are. So I'll just start with Jeremy Grant. He's 28. He is born in Portland, Oregon, which I think most Portland fans at this point know um, because his dad was a blazer. His dad, Harvey Grant, was a blazer when he was born in 1993. So he is 28. He is 6'8". He is has a 7'3 wingspan, which I only want to point out because it's the largest on the team. 
it's, it's longer than Nurks. It's he, wow, longer than Drew Eubanks. Like longest wingspan on the whole team, six foot eight, seven three wingspan. Nurks is seven two, by the way. Well, it makes perfect sense. Like I was like the way that he can get in the lane and get those steals. It is like wow, he has long arms. <laughs> Yeah. The only other person who had the same um, uh, wingspan as him was Olivier Saar, mm-hmm. who is not on the team anymore. So I now think, it's just Jeremy. I think Ibu has has a long one. We'll have to compare that when we learn more about Ibu. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So born in Portland, March 12th, 1994. He, you know, obviously moved around with his father on his father's journey through the NBA, which included, um, I think that he went from... Portland to well first he was drafted I think to Washington um moved was moved to Portland went back to Washington and then he finished with his final season in um Philadelphia the 76er but he spent the bulk of his time in um the Washington DC area and so Jeremy mostly grew up in um like uh the suburbs like Maryland area um he, he went to high school in Hyattsville Maryland he went to DeMatha Catholic High School. Um, I think that's where all of his brothers went to. Um, where they all, like, he has four brothers that all did play basketball at some point. And I think they all went to that same high school. Um, he was a four star recruit out of his high school. And he ended up choosing Syracuse, where he played for two seasons before he declared for the NBA. And I think he's still really close with a bunch of the guys from Syracuse. Um, I've heard him talk in interviews about how he's still close to Michael Carter Williams, which is interesting because actually when he when uh, Jeremy Grant was drafted, he was drafted by the Sixers. And Michael Carter Williams had been drafted to the Sixers the year prior. Um, and so they've been, they were at the same college and then the same um, pro team. But, oh, gosh. This is the thing that I, I I really like hadn't really thought about in terms of his career. So he started drafted to the Sixers second round in 2014. And if everyone, I mean, anyone who knows anything knows that 2014 for the Sixers was a dark time. He got drafted to the Sixers in the middle of the process. And then he played for two years there where they won 28 games over two seasons. They won a total of 28 games over two seasons. Oh, that's dark. Do you remember how bad the process was at at its worst? Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. grim. I remember seeing people like clowning on them because um, they had like, you know how we have like our 100 point game, whatever thing. I think that they ended up having to drop their, their like promotion to like 80 points. (laughs) If the Sixers scored 80 points, like they all got whatever the promotional item was. And I was like, oh, that is dark. So anyway, he was there for two seasons during the process. Um, I heard him talk a little bit about it and he wasn't as like down on it as I thought. And maybe that's a little bit in retrospect, because by the time I was hearing these interviews, he was talking about it as somebody who had already found success in the NBA. But he was saying how it was like he had to focus a lot on his development at that time. Um, He was lucky that he got as a second round draft pick. He got to um, start at some games and like get significant playing time. Um, I don't think he started like a ton, but he did get to, he did get some starts and he did, he was, he did get a lot of playing time as somebody who was like, kind of would be an end of the bench guy on another team. Um, so he got a chance to play right away, figure out who he was, develop himself as a player. Um, so it wasn't 
all bad. And then I think in 2016, he was traded to OKC. And here's another thing when I think about this. So he goes to, he was drafted to the Sixers during the process. Then he gets traded to OKC right after they're trying to figure out what they're going to do after Kevin Durant left. Mm. And obviously, like, Jeremy Grant fills a very Kevin Durant-sized hole. But he was still young. He was still, you know, he was still only um, 21 or 22 at that time. So he didn't start a whole lot when he first got there. He did get to play. Um, but, like, he, he, I don't know, like, he, he, I think he looked more promising at that point. And that's how the sign-in trade happened with Denver a couple years later. I think that's why that happened. Um, I kind of forgot that he was on Denver. I do remember playing against him on Denver because we see Denver all the time. But um, I realized that he'd just kind of been like going to teams that were in uh, like limited success situations at the time that he arrived there. And he was a young player trying to develop. So arriving in Denver was probably a little bit of like a relief in some ways because they were looking up at that point. Um, He went to Denver in 20, I want to say 18. It's really a mixed bag, especially, you know, from our perspective now coming off of last year, the way that a player, a young player who may not have been a high pick is suddenly presented with a lot more opportunity than was expected. So he did get all that playing time in with, you know, with the 76ers so that by the time he gets to Oklahoma City, maybe his trajectory has moved a little bit farther than they, you know, may, might have originally been um, thought if he'd been drafted by a team that, you know, didn't play him. Um, and it's cool to think about how that might relate to some of the players on the Blazers right now. Like yeah, how he may be sure. able to relate to Trendon and that kind of thing, you know, or or Greg or some of those guys who had to go through that um, that year which was sort of a mixed blessing because it was like bad because they lost, but good because they actually got to refine their skills a lot faster. Yeah. There's definitely some element of that for sure. And like, so, okay. So he went to started in Philadelphia. He went to Oklahoma city. Eventually I think that they filled that role permanently with the Paul George acquisition. Um, And then he moved on to Denver and in Denver was like the first time he was on a team that could really win um very defined role in that team but like behind Paul Millsap remember they had Paul Millsap for like like those right. successful years mm-hmm. who was older and like a more of an offensive guy and um so he his like i think he was like a second unit energy guy you know um really really annoying on defense really long um like a little bit of a disruptor but his that role was really defined for him in a in a neat package mm-hmm. that like already utilized the skills that he developed and not really necessarily focused on um building new skills and so when he finally had his first his by the way the first time in his career where he had like the free will to sign wherever he wanted he went to detroit instead of staying with denver where i think he could have stayed but he didn't and um I thought that was interesting because, you know, he, a lot of people were like, oh, he chased the bag. And it's interesting. When we were talking to, I, I, I forget, I think we were talking to the, it must have been the episode where we were talking to the the, the podcast summit uh-huh. with un, Unbiased. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So people were talking about like, oh, what's Jeremy Grant's motivation? Does he want to be the guy? Does he want, you know, does he want the money? And I found an interview with him with The Athletic where he talked about how, yes, 
Having a bigger role was important to him to challenge himself, but also he wanted to be in an organization with a black coach and a black GM in a city that was predominantly black because one of the most important aspects of his outside of basketball life is he is an activist and he is very focused on uplifting the black community. And I tell you right now, everything that you read about him, this is the common thread in all of his interviews. This is who he is. And it's weird that in Portland, where we care a lot about activism, we hadn't really latched onto that aspect of his story, but that is a huge part of who he is. He was super duper um, involved in the protests in 2020. Um, he went to a peaceful protest outside the White House in June of 2020, and he went with two of his brothers, one of his, I think his sister, his sister-in-law. It was like a huge family affair where they all went and peacefully protested in front of the White House for Black Lives Matter. And his dad gave a really, Harvey gave a really wonderful interview where he talked about how, you know, that made him so proud um, that like his son's and his daughter and his family members were there to give back to their community and impact the future generations, not just like today. Um, and how like he wants his kids, like I think he said, whatever they believe in truly in their hearts, they should go out and do it peacefully, go out and make a difference and make a change. And I was so proud when I saw them do that. Um, anyway, that's I just thought so, this was a really, yeah, that's I awesome. thought this was a really lovely aspect of his story that we hadn't really heard about in Portland yet. Well, and growing up in D.C. too, just being or in that area, you know, being surrounded by all of the politics, you know, of that area. I'm sure that you don't like grow up in that area and like n not have that going on, especially going to a place like DeMatha. I think they, um, you know, were pretty close to uh, the all of the politics of, that go on in D.C. So anyway, what, yeah, yeah, for sure. And the one of the things that stuck out to me about this story that I read about his his time um, moving from Denver to Detroit is that we have a black head coach now. You know, we have like Portland has a black head coach now and we are not a very like we are not we are a very white city, but we have a black head coach. And we do have a as on the basketball side of things, we do have a bigger role for him without him being like the number one guy, but he's probably the number two guy or two and a half. Um, and I just think that that's a really interesting aspect that we didn't talk about when we were talking about why would Jeremy Grant, um, come here and would he want to stay here? Um, having, you know, when he, when Dwayne Casey was in Detroit, he was really, I think actually Dwayne Casey's still in Detroit, but D Dwayne Casey was a reason why he wanted to be in Detroit. He wanted to be with a black head coach. And I mean, I think there's only like a handful of black head coach, black GM combos in the league and so that he's reported as something that was really important to him um i want to say that he has an organization a foundation called the our generation our h-o-u-r generation foundation um where his mother is the vice president um, it's primarily focused out of maryland where his family still is but he says on the site, I'm committed to empowering youth in underserved communities to explore their talents by providing them with information, resources, and extracurricular programs and services to maximize their potential and realize their special gifts to attain success in life. Um, so activism, giving back to the community, philanthropy, those are huge parts of who Jeremy Grant is. 
And I just want to talk about that a little bit with you because I think that's great. What do you think? I He strikes me as so thoughtful and deliberate. He's so quiet. And it just one of those like classic still waters run deep kind of situations where you look at him and, it, you know, he seems like, like you were saying, like fashion is what we latched onto. But when you get to know him more, it's like, oh, there's so much more, uh, you know, going on in his in his th- heart and in his mind. And everything that he you talked about, like when he finally had the ability to be a free agent and choose where he went, like he spoke very clearly to the reasons that he wanted to go there. And so I think it's really interesting that, you know, when he comes, you know, he comes to Portland and he's going to have the opportunity to decide whether or not he wants to stay here, you know, as well. And just, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. And if Portland and this team have lived up to kind of the high expectations that he has set for himself in terms of like being able to give to the community and being able to like, you know, uplift other people, I mean, you can see why he and Damien would have hit off so well, because Damien being so, um, you know, it it being so important to him that he uplift other people, you know, I think that's a a cool combination. Yeah, he just, Jeremy Grant just seems like an awesome dude. I think, I, I think I'm remembering that in the bubble, he was one of the first players who answered all of his questions about Breonna Taylor. Yes, he was, he was. That made it made the news. It was like the, there were clips of him all over the place pivoting off of the questions he was being asked by the reporters and just saying, but the most important thing here is that Breonna Taylor's murderers are still walking free. Yeah, that's a guy with conviction. That is that is uh, really cool. I'm so excited that he's here and that we know a little bit more about him because, yeah, there's so much more to him um, than fashion and long arms. I mean, those are like super important. I mean, those are like yeah. parts of him, but those are like the window dressing. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> He's a really like a whole a whole player with like a lot of a lot of work that is done outside of basketball that enhances like what he does on the court and also vice versa. Like, mm-hmm. you know, being a basketball player also empowers him to have that platform to use like in the NBA bubble. And and draw like attention to the issues that he wishes that more attention were were given. And so, yeah, I think that that's really interesting. I have one tidbit I have to share about him. Yeah, okay. let's hear it. So we know that all of all of his brothers at some point played basketball, and we some of them we've seen in the NBA. He is Jeremy Grant. He is the third the third child. He is, uh, his oldest brother is Jerry Grant. Then his second brother is Jerrion Grant. And then the brother that's younger than him is Jalen Grant. So obviously we see a theme with the names here. And we know that his dad was Harvey and and his twin brother, Horace Grant. So it sounds like his dad went hard on the J's, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's everybody's got a J name and they like sound really similar. Twist. They all go by their middle name. What? They all go, all of those boys, those J boys, they all go by their middle name. What's their first name? They all have first H names. (gasps) Like their dad. Yes. (laughs) That is an amazing twist. I love it. Jirai, who's the oldest, is Harvey Jirai Grant. Jerrion, who's the second, Holden Jirai Grant. Jeremy is Houston Houston Jeremy Grant. 
And I don't know what Jalen Grant's uh, first H name is, but I'm certain he has one <laughs> because he didn't really make it into, he didn't like go to the NBA or he was, I don't even know if he went to play in college exactly, but he is now a chef. Oh, really? Yes. He's a chef. Oh, wow. That's so cool. But the three older ones all have H names. Harvey, Holden, and Houston are Jerry, Jerrion, and Jeremy. That's amazing. I remember the first time I heard about, like, really heard about the Grant Brothers is several years ago when I was doing this very, like, podcast thing where I was researching Pat Connaughton, who Mm. went to Notre Dame. And one of his best friends was, I think, Jerrion, I think, went to um, Notre Dame. And then I was like, oh, wow. I wonder if that's a Grant kid. And then I was like, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot of Grant kids who play basketball. That's so cool. It's pretty It's pretty amazing, actually, that three of the four brothers all went on to play basketball. And I think that um, at least one of them still plays, but I think he plays overseas. Um, and the youngest did play basketball in high school, but I don't think he went and made that like his thing. He's now a chef. I think that's awesome. That- he's a chef. I wonder if he's a chef for anybody in their family. Or if he oh, works yeah, at like be... a restaurant. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I have one other little tidbit that I have, it. I have extrapolated based on it, I've interviews. And I'm not, I'm like 95% sure that this is what, this is actually what happened. But it hasn't been confirmed because it wasn't very public. I'm pretty sure that Jeremy Grant was in Michael Jordan's daughter's wedding. Oh, oh really? <laughs> Yes. Researcher. How did that how did how did you get this? Okay, so Jasmine Jordan went to Syracuse. Okay. Her college boyfriend, who she married, is Rakeem Christmas, who played on the basketball team with Jeremy Grant. Now, she's very like, I mean, she's like out there on like social and stuff, but like she's not really a basketball, like she's not there to do basketball. I'm not really sure what her thing is, but she's like Wrecking Christmas doesn't seem to be in basketball anymore. And she's like, you know, like roots her dad on and is like still involved in the basketball community. But that's not like her job. I don't think. Mm -hmm. I I don't know for sure. But I heard in an interview with Jeremy Grant when he was in Tokyo saying that he's still really close with a bunch of guys from the Syracuse team. And that Rakim, who's the only Rakim there could possibly be on that team was getting married in September. So when he got back from the Olympics, he was going to be in his wedding. Nancy Drew, I think you solved the mystery. I love it. (laughs) These are the tidbits that people come to We Have a Take for to find out these important things. So Jeremy Grant, you're 99% sure, was in Michael Jordan's daughter's wedding. I love it. That's like It probably was like a basketball royalty wedding is Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Um, but I just think that's really funny because I don't know, somehow the NBA club just keeps it like, it like folds back on itself over and over and over again. You know, it's like Michael, Michael Jordan seems very far away. I guess not as far away as you'd think right. <laughs> from Jeremy Grant because he played with his uncle, but you know, like it's just like the world just keeps wrapping them up all together. The yeah. future generations, like who knows, maybe we're going to be talking on this podcast about Jeremy Grant's son and you know i don't know the well, it's, daughter someday it's like when you go to the like the rivers curry connections and how those are all uh they're all intertwined and and interconnected i was thinking about uh nba weddings the other night because san when san antonio was in town 
um, I was like, those so many of those guys, like a bunch of those guys, I think were at Drew Eubanks's wedding this this summer. Now that now that he got married, I think a, I think one of them, a couple of them, were stood up with him, I believe. So I have, love that though. I know one of my favorite one of my favorite pictures ever is I'm pretty sure it's Josh Hart at his wedding with Stephen Adams. Oh my God! Can you imagine having Stephen Adams at your wedding? He would have been the life of the party. He would have been, or he would have been sitting alone quietly at a table. Oh, playing with the kids. That's what he would have oh, been yeah, doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he would be doing. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> he would totally be, I bet, I bet over there uh, playing with the kids. Uh, Annie Peterson, one time, um, the AP reporter, told mm-hmm. us a story about when Greg Oden first got to Portland. She went to this um, big, you know, uh, mixer party where he was, I mean, part of it was introducing him. And she said that he spent, like, most of the time playing with the kids <laughs> <laughs> where he where he felt most comfortable. Okay, that is awesome. I love hearing about Jeremy Grant. Do you want to tell us anything else about him? Um, move I don't on. Think so I think we can move on to Jabari. But I just I needed to get that out there about the the, the Grant boys' names because it's been eating at me for like twenty four hours, and I'm like, I gotta tell Tara. No, wait, I'll tell her on the podcast. It's fine. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing all the Jeremy Grant investigating. I loved it. I just love getting to know these guys. And mine is going to be pr- quite a bit different from yours because I am talking about Jabari Walker, also a second generation NBA player, but nearly 10 years younger. And so not a lot out there about his NBA career, obviously, because it's just taking off. And also not a ton about him in his very, very early days, which for reason, there's a specific reason about that. Um, so uh, I'll tell a story and then we're going to have a little bit more information kind of about his high school and a little bit uh, more about college. But I think um, I think people are going to enjoy this as a um, another J name, <laughs> another second generation and um, another new trailblazer. So uh yeah, I'm talking about Jabari Walker. Jabari was born um, on July 30th, 2022, or sorry, not 2022, 2002. And um, a few weeks prior to him being born, his dad, Samaki Walker, won the um, the NBA finals with the Los Angeles Lakers. Boo. <laughs> But anyway, um, so Jabari was born in Wichita, Kansas, and his dad, Samaki Walker, played in the NBA for 10 years. And then he also played overseas for um, for quite a while. A couple things about Samaki Walker that I thought were interesting, and I'll talk to, talk about him a little bit before then we go back to talking about Jabari. Um, so... Uh, I was telling him about how he was playing in the uh, 2002 finals. That was that same year and the same season that they played the Kings. And we talked about previously about the uh, series against the Kings that has hurt the Kings so tremendously because of the really poor officiating. And um, one of the things that happened during that series was uh, in a game that the uh, Sacramento was like way ahead of the Lakers and at the end of the second quarter, the Lakers started to make a comeback. And at halftime, uh, as the buzzer rang, Samaki Walker hit a half-court shot that counted for three, which brought the Lakers within 10. At this time, they did not review to make sure that the um, it was released on time. So 
they were able to like the the refs called it as a fair ball, but then uh, going back and looking at it on TV replay, it was not a fair ball. But at that time, they couldn't take it back. So they were given this three pointer, which like changed all the momentum of the game. And L.A. came out and I think they ended up winning the game because of that play. That is like one of the instrumental reasons that they started to make it so that officials can review whether or not somebody gets a shot off in time. Oh, my gosh. His dad has a rule for him. (laughs) Yep. It's a Maki Walker rule. (laughs) It's so interesting to think about like the origins of rule changes Mm -hmm. because like, you know how we were talking about the bench rule change and we're like, oh, doesn't it suck to have a rule named after you? That's so crappy. Yeah. Like though, at least the one that we're talking about here though is like, I mean, it's a rule. At least that's a good rule. It's a rule (laughs) that is good for the game, especially because like, you know, I'm like, I, it always drives me nuts when there's like, you can see every replay from every angle on television. And so all of the fans know what should happen. Why don't you let the referees have that too? Mm-hmm. Like, those are tools that literally everybody around the like the country is able to like see. They're going to show it to you five different angles in slow motion. Like, and the refs just got to do it in their mind live. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's just bad for the game. So that's a good change for the game. The other rule, the bench thing is not. No, that is. I'll die on that hill. That is annoying, and they're going to stop calling that by the end of the year. <laughs> they're they're so bored with that rule. I think. Um, okay, so that's one thing about Samaki Walker. Another funny thing about Samaki Walker, uh, I was like googling like when he was drafted, and for some reason, what came up in the Google search was more than a few, less than many, articles that were actually blog posts by people that had titles along the lines of top 10 worst NBA draft night outfits <laughs> or, or you know, stand, you know, the implication is that they stood out, but not for a good reason. So I was like, well, this is interesting. What did Samaki Walker wear? I cannot figure out why everybody has such hard feelings, such like strong feelings. He's basically wearing a head to toe cream colored three-piece suit and it was the kind that like buttoned up pretty far right so he's like covered in cream colored fabric and, and then he has yeah and buttons like goes up buttons up pretty hard and a cream colored fedora like honestly i don't know why everybody was freaking out about that i thought he looked great i don't know that much about fashion i personally thought he looked great and i don't know what everybody's big beef was with samaki walker's draft night outfit also like so what year was he drafted Ooh, I can't remember off the top of my head. It must be like the 80s, right? It was during the big suit era. Yeah. So what I'm curious about is like, it's not like blogs existed back then. So people had to remember that outfit. Yeah. When the Until the internet came around and they wanted to blog about the worst outfits. <laughs> yeah. They, they wanted to go back and find it. And that's what they came up with, which just, I thought that was a little weird. But we're not here to talk about Samaki Walker. We're here to talk about his son, Jabari Walker, who plays for the Portland Trailblazers now. Okay, so um, he so Samaki Walker was his dad, and his mom is a woman named Joe Dudley. And the interesting thing about his mom, she worked for the FBI. And you can read about this in an article that was written by um, Casey Holdall. And he, Jabari, I thought this was fascinating. Jabari says, I can't say enough about my mom. She's in the Bureau, 
the people you see on TV, FBI agents, that's what she does. She's the intelligent side off the court. My dad is very intelligent too, but my mom just has a different feel for communication with people. I don't even know how to explain it. I can't talk enough about my mom. I learned not to really talk about her as much because for years she had a job where I couldn't even talk about it. (laughs) Now her job is a little less dangerous and more people know her so I can say it on camera. But before I couldn't even tell you what my mom did just because you don't hear too many people like that because it can be a dangerous job. (gasps) Wow. I I don't know why I was so blown away by this, but I was just like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, Real hard to find out anything about his childhood. Like they said that he was born in Wichita, but I can't even figure out what city he grew up in. (laughs) Like, and I've been trying and like, I've been like you, like trying to cross reference with things that other people have said and interviews with other people about him. So um, I think some of it is because it's just like, they just kept had to lay really low um, because of his mom's job. Here's a fun fact. Do you remember Wade Baldwin when he played for the Blazers? I do remember Wade Baldwin. His mom also worked for the FBI and his dad worked for DEA. Whoa. (laughs) I know. So I don't know what to make of that, but I just thought that was interesting. Maybe they knew each other. Maybe, but we would never know about it, would we? (laughs) No, we wouldn't. But here's the thing, Rose. We need to come up with the meet cute for how the NBA player met and fell in love with the FBI agent. I mean, that is a Hallmark movie right there. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Because, like, it's not like if you're in the FBI, you're, like, out there just, I mean, I guess not, especially not in the 80s on, like, dating apps or whatever. But, like, <laughs> like how do you like how do you meet these people in these jobs that, like, they can't even talk about? I don't know. But I have, like, three Hallmark scripts in my head. <laughs> about oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, maybe Smokey Walker is an FBI informant. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that one. We're I was taking down. What's that guy's name? Tim Donahue. Is that his name? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <gasps> that it was all wrapped up in that referee scandal. Well, that would yeah. have had to have started about a year before if they were going to be, which would have. Oh, Rose, you are such a detective. I'm going to call you Nancy Drew. <laughs> I was thinking about it much more simply, like maybe she was like undercover because somebody was threatening somebody. And so she had to like pretend that she had a different job a la like Sandra Bullock, you know, and um, or, you know, she was like, uh, you know, undercover PR assistant or undercover like massage person like working for the team and that's how they met but i i think yours is it's more complicated see mine is more hallmark i was like trying to come up with a clever one and i was like no just be simple straightforward anyway the me cute for them i'm sure would make a great storyline but we're gonna talk about together do you know if they're still together don't know okay um neither here nor there yeah just really hard to find out a lot of stuff about his family and i'm writing up a lot about it to him having to him having to just kind of be quiet for a few years. Um, he does have a brother, uh, an older brother who plays basketball. He played at UMass, but then he transferred. And I think he's at Appalachia state right now. And then he has a sister, uh, Sakima who played at Rutgers and there was a big coaching upheaval there. So she's also, I believe in the, the transfer protocol, but a lot of basketball in that family. Um, 
His mom did sign him up young to play basketball. And this information I got from a podcast that he was on when he himself was only like 18 years old. So how much 18 year olds remember accurately, (laughs) take that with a grain of salt. But he said that his mom signed him up to play basketball as young as like two or three, but she uh, enrolled him in higher grades because he was a, a, a bigger kid. And so he was able to play with the big kids, but over uh, clearly he started very, very young. Um, An overarching theme when talking about his younger years of playing basketball and him as a basketball player, two things I heard over and over again. Um, One is that he was a late bloomer and two was that he had a very high basketball IQ. He always impressed people with basketball IQ. And I think what they're talking about late bloomer is in a lot of places, he was a little bit slower to uh, master the fundamentals maybe that were expected of his age. That's what I, that's what I picked up. Okay. So where are we? Um, Plays basketball as a little kid. So he goes to high school in Los Angeles And again, I don't know if the whole family moved there, if just he moved there, uh, not quite sure what the situation was, but he went to a place called Campbell Hall School, which I'm gathering is a pretty she-she fancy school. Uh, It's in Inglewood, Los Angeles area, and had some quite notable alumni, had a big arts program. So uh, Dakota and Ellie Fanning attended there. Mary-Kate and Ashley Olson went there. (laughs) They were obviously not there at the same time because they're quite a bit older uh, than Jabari Walker, uh, but they were alumni of his school. And then three Holiday Brothers, the basketball-playing Holiday Brothers. All the uh, Holiday Brothers went there? Yeah, um, attended there. Yeah, uh, Drew, Justin, can't remember all their... Jamari? I can't remember all their names off the top of my head. So... An interesting uh, bunch of alumni went there, uh, including Jabari Walker. But like I said, he's a lot younger than them. So he he didn't cross paths with any of them. Um, The summer between his freshman and sophomore year of high school, uh, he broke his arm in an AAU game. He it was a freak accident. He fell down. His teammate uh, fell on his arm and broke his arm that way. Two weeks later, uh, during his recovery, he's been working out his lower body while his um, arm is healing. His brother comes for a visit, and he and his brother decide to get into a dunk contest, even though his arm is in a cast. Dunks on his brother, breaks his leg. So <laughs> within oh two weeks, God. within two weeks, he broke his arm and his uh, knee is what what broke. And he's really embarrassed. He tells this story on that same podcast I was referring to earlier. It's a great podcast. I'll link to it. Um and like he was really nervous because he's, of course, he, you know, when you do that, you know that you screwed up. <laughs> didn't want it, but you know, he wanted it to be like not bad. So we like didn't tell anybody right away. And then his dad saw it and it was all swollen. And he was like, we're taking you to the doctor to get that fixed. So during the summer, he's rehabbing now his right leg and his right arm. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> that sounds like a thing. Like, I mean, like, I sometimes I think because now I have a kid, I think about like what I was like when I was a kid. And I do remember like thinking like when I did when I do something that I'm not supposed to do and then I do it anyway. I, well, I, well, yeah, I do something I'm not supposed to do and then something bad happens while I did it. And then you're like, oh, this is why my parents told me not to do this thing. Mm-hmm. You hide that, though. <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to get broken, caught. You know, if that, if that knee's not broken, you're like, it's fine. I'll just pretend like it never <laughs> happened. 
<laughs> It'll be fine in a few days. Put some ice on it. Rub some dirt on it. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I feel, I feel for him though. Cause I know. we've all done it. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, so he ended up pretty much missing his uh, sophomore year of basketball. Um, so he's at the Campbell Hall school for three years and uh, his fourth year, he transferred to Arizona Compass Prep, which is obviously in Arizona. Um, he played there with Josh Primo and Ty Ty Washington. And I only bring this up. Um, obviously, Josh Primo has been in the news for, uh, you know, having um, being in trouble uh, for exposing himself. Um, that's that's what he's being accused of. And it seems like it was a very, very serious issue. And these are very serious allegations. And that's got to be weird when you're 19 years old and a guy that was your teammate is in the news about this. And I just, I don't know what to make of that, except for just to think that must be really hard. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, like you kind of forget that these are still kids, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like they're. You know, we're like, oh, 18 is an adult. I'm like, yeah, but have you met people who are 18? Like, do you remember what it was like <laughs> to be 18? Like, these are still kids mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it's like, it's hard like that. I feel like that transition from where like you you are a kid who makes kid mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you age one year and you're an adult who's making adult mistakes. And then your peers are not just kids making kid mistakes. They're adults making adult mistakes. And it's just like, I think that's a really jarring experience. I only say this because I I grew up with um, a, a kid who ended up going to prison for murder. And I remember thinking, I was like, he's a kid. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a kid. But when you see, you know, you there, there's just like one one year where all of a sudden the world decides that you're not a kid anymore and you're an adult making adult mistakes. And it's very hard to grapple with your peers suddenly make, being adults making adult mistakes that ruin whole lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I'm not like saying it like affects it's affecting Jabari's game or anything like that. I'm just like commenting that it must be it must be weird. It must be really weird. Um, I think it's, it's just a hard transition to be to see your friends that way mm-hmm. and people you grew up with that way because you're used to being kids together. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. It's like, it's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird time. Right. Uh, so that was his, uh, that's where he went. Um, that's where he finished out high school. And during his, that year, he grew three inches. Um, and he actually had considered staying a second year at the prep school because I think because of the last year, and he was just trying to get his body right after all the rehab that he had, you know, had to do to recover from his um, uh, earlier injuries. But he went on that big growth skirt uh, spurt, talked to his coaches and the the people who are close to him who decided that um, uh, going to college was the, the next step. He made a really cute uh, video when he declared uh, for he declared that he was going to uh, University of Colorado at Buffalo. Some people might also know that that's where Coach uh, Billups attended. But he made a, a cute video um, that had pictures of him, like, getting his cast off of his arm and, like, getting his knee, you know, like, stitches out of it or something like that, you know, uh, to just kind of, like, call back to there was a time where he thought he wasn't going to play basketball anymore. Uh, but he's but he stuck with it and he chose to go to Colorado for college. In Colorado, he the, his first year, he came off of the bench and, um, you know, uh, 
did well for you know a bench player. He played about 15 minutes a game and had about 7.6 points. He was uh, a good rebounder. And his second year, he started all of his games, doubled his playing time, doubled his output and production. Again, even as people were talking about him in the um, uh, uh, in the draft and like what he did in college, they talked about him being a late bloomer and having just a really super high basketball IQ. I think it was his sophomore year. He came out and just like shot terrible from three, having shot pretty well from three the year before, but the second half of the year, it really corrected itself. And he got really hot from three in the second half of his um, sophomore year. So um, we're getting close to the end here. He came to the Blazers via the Joe Ingles trade. Um, right. A, a second round pick that was pick, right. The pick that was from the Joe Ingles trade. That's yep, right. Yeah. So that's how he uh, came to the Blazers. He was the second to last pick of the draft. So there's plenty of pictures of um, him on draft night looking really nervous. And um, he did not wear a mono uh, chrome suit. He wore a very nice like blue pants and like a vest. He looked great on um but did he think, attend? Did he attend the, the draft? No, I don't no. believe he no, I don't believe he did. Um, as I recall, he, he was he was somewhere else. But I don't think anybody's gonna be writing any blog posts 10 years from now about what he was wearing. It was fine. <laughs> I figure if the blog posts don't exist already yet, then they're probably <laughs> not going to. That just yeah. feels like a very special thing about people who are trying to blog about things that they couldn't blog about at the time because the internet wasn't invented yet. <laughs> I think the blog posts were from they you know they were from like I don't know 10 years ago or whatever but yeah they searched all the way back in the archives to find those. Um a few more random things about Jabari Walker which I got from those like little half or those uh videos that the Blazers make uh that they play during the game um his favorite breakfast cereal is frosted flakes. His favorite Marvel superhero is Iron Man. Uh, if he had a superpower, it would be telekinesis. And his favorite TV show is SpongeBob. And it, the final thing I guess I'll say on him is I think that uh, he wins so far for all the bla- all the Blazers for TikTok presence. He's basically the only one who has any. Um, and he does like post occasionally. One, he's like one of the youngest, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like Greg... Greg isn't on there. Oh, Dame but... does TikTok, or Dame's wife does TikTok. Oh, does she? Well, they were doing TikTok dance videos mm. during the summer. I feel like you know what I did. I what I did is I went and I looked for all the young guys to see what they had. I did not to look to see what Dame had. That was a critical error on my point. So I, think, I could be I think speaking be out Kayla. of turn. I think it might be Kayla. Kayla okay. might do it, but Dame's in them for sure. I've seen yeah. Dame do TikTok dances. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as far as the young guys go, uh, Jabari's leading the way uh, in in TikTok content. I'm trying to think if there's anything else about him. I don't know. Any? Did you know anything about him before? Did you, I didn't even know who Samaki Walker was. In, I didn't either. He was drafted. And I watched the Ducks play and Colorado is like in their same conference. And I didn't remember anything about him either. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I I was like, gosh, like, I'm sure he must be good because we drafted him. And like, there aren't that many picks in an NBA draft. I was like, but I just don't remember anything about him. Did you watch Summer League games? I did. I did watch Summer League. I didn't watch every single Summer League game, but I watched some of them. 
And, you know, you hear you talked about how he was a late bloomer, but he had a high basketball IQ. I feel that when I see him play. Mm -hmm. I feel like he's always in the right spot. I feel like he's always making the right pass, doing the right thing. Like, he just has a good, like, sense of where to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't know. That was, like, one of the first things I noticed about him. Because he's not, like, like, the boy gets rebounds. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm willing to buy a rebound. Any rebound, yes. any rebound would be great right now. And I'm like, we just need to put Jabari Walker in to start collecting these rebounds. That's what I was thinking last night in the game against, God, who did they play last night? Um, the Jazz. Oh, my God. By the way, sidebar, the most annoying team out there. No wonder they're winning so many games. They are so annoying. Um, but I wanted them to put Jabari in, like, in the beginning of the second half, just to, like, have somebody get a rebound. <laughs> <laughs> they ended up finally like evening out. But at that point it was just like, Oh my Lord. But yeah, he just seems like he knows what he's doing. And like in interviews with him in interviews with coaches, that was like Jabari never said that he was a late bloomer, but he did say <laughs> that he had um, uh, a high IQ and, and you can really tell, like, I remember he first stepped out on summer league. I was like, Oh, that guy knows what he's doing. And I don't know why it, it just seemed so clear to me from just like his his first presence on the court it's very interesting to see how these guys develop because like so he was you know he just got to the nba so you like you said his nba career is just starting whereas like when i was looking at jeremy grant like he already has lots like a huge body of work in the nba so we kind of know you know what he's Mm -hmm. been able to do but i went back and i read jeremy grant's um draft profile just oh, yeah. to see how what kind of what kind of prospect they thought he was going to be coming out, and it was very interesting for me to see that he did not have a jump shot. Oh, really? He was a very poor jump shooter out coming out of college, and look at this boy now. Mm. He's out here like he. I feel Beautiful like he has a very shot. nice looking shot, and that's just something that like you just you just see that in someone's draft profile, and you realize this is just the start, not 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 the end. Like. You can become a whole different player of your making if you want. And Jeremy Grant has maybe sneakily developed all of these skills because he was in a lot of situations that just required him to focus on that aspect of his game when he wasn't in winning situations. So good job to all these guys. That reminds me of a uh, draft, a pre-draft discussion about Jabari Walker. I listened to a podcast from DNVR, the folks in Denver, um, and they were talking about local prospects who may get a look from the Nuggets. What they said about Jeremy uh, Jabari Walker was that the combine didn't serve him very well. He had a very low vertical leap comparatively. He had a 33 inch vertical leap and they thought that that was just way too low uh, for somebody of uh, what they'd seen from him. And they were appalled that he'd showed up with a 12% body fat. And I was like, wait, hold on there. He's, he's, he probably still has like baby fat on him, first of all. And it's just like, they were like 12%. Who shows up at the combine with 12%? And I'm like, I was just, I just thought that was a strange thing Appalled. to focus on. They Appalled were, at this. They were just, who shows up like that? And I was like, I, I think maybe if they listened back to it, they might've been like, hmm, maybe we emphasize that a little bit too much. Um, but because when you look at Jabari, like we were just talking about it before, before we got on the podcast and we were talking about, where did we hear the story? About Jabari seeing Jeremy Grant? Oh, it was from FanFest. It was an interview that he, he and Shaden did at FanFest with, I think, Brooke and Dame. 
And they asked him about like, what was your welcome to the NBA moment? And for him, it was, you know, for Shaden, it was like something about playing ball. And for Jabari, it was like the first time he was at practice and Jeremy Grant walked in and he looked at Jeremy Grant and he was like, there are guys who are built like that, who play my position. Like he was shocked at what Jeremy Grant's body looked like. And Dame was like, yeah, agree. Like he looks like he was built in a lab. But I think also uh, something else that I took from it was that Jabari also was like a long and gangly guy like him had been able had had carved out a role in that position, too. Um, So I think that's interesting. I'm really glad that we did actually two guys who were like way different parts of their career. That was a cool way to do it, to kind of compare and contrast that. They're both power forwards. They're both second generation NBA players. But like, you know, we just like Jabari's like his journey is just starting mm-hmm. and jeremy's is like i would say like jeremy's like mid-career mid to late career but like still in his, he's like very much in his prime yeah well should we wrap it up there and do a quick social media player of the week roundup yeah yeah let's do that i have to be honest i have not been on social this week that much so i'll have to rely on you to be our okay. eyes and ears on social media player of the week i can do that for you um Good for you, by the way. <laughs> You're doing it right. <laughs> okay, I have three nominations. The first one is um, from Justice Winslow, and it's another birthday one. His little boy, who's just the cutest little guy ever, Nico, uh, had a birthday. He was one years old. And just, like, the cutest little picture of the sweet little guy um, and a bunch of other pictures of him together with his son so um you know we love a good birthday instagram post uh so that's one of them a second one to nominate and this one was um uh shoes and oops from uh twitter former guest on this podcast as well um eric peterson he shared a picture of Greg Brown, it was a story, it's Instagram story from Greg Brown, who was eating a bag of popcorn that was almost long as his legs. (laughs) So he was sitting there on the couch with one of these huge, long bags of popcorn. And it was just funny because, like, how long is that bag of popcorn if it's as long as Greg Brown's legs? Because those are some long legs. (laughs) That's super duper relatable for me because popcorn is one of my all-time favorite snacks. And so Mm. if I could have a popcorn bag that big, I would do it. Me too. And also like shout out to Greg Brown down in the G League. Keep your head up, buddy. Get that playing time and we'll see you when you get back. Um, the final nominee for Social Media Player of the Week is another Justice Winslow one, this time from Twitter. The other one was Instagram. This is Twitter. And he really enjoyed a beautiful sunset. Let me see what let me see if I get the get the words just right that he said uh on Twitter. No picture or anything accompaniment, just Justice Winslow's wonderful, like, stream of consciousness uh, loading. That's really not loading. Can I read it to you? I'll read it. Oh, yes. Please do. Damn. Just witnessed one of the most beautiful sunsets I've seen in Happy Valley, Oregon. God did his thing with that one. I love Justice Winslow so much. I do, too. And actually, the best part about this is that he doesn't include a crappy picture of it. He just was soaking in the moment and telling us about it. And he's like, you go find your own sunset. This one's mine. Is that your favorite? Yeah, that one's my favorite. I think that's my favorite too. Uh, if, if, if we don't 
choose uh, a specific one. I'm just going to, I think we should just give justice the player of the week for on social media. I mean, two of the nominees are him and like the other right. one's his son, which is in any other week could just be a winner. If he hadn't upstaged himself with this amazing tweet about a sunset without a picture of a sunset. <laughs> well, and it, he's so right because you could never capture the sunset with a picture accurately. Correct. I, I try to do it all the time and you just can't. And he didn't even try. I think you're right. I, That's a great point thing to put up. I feel I feel very strongly that is a that is a strong play. Um, I like, you know, people often post pictures on Fourth of July of fireworks. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> you had to be there. <laughs> and sunsets, you know what? Sometimes you got to be there, too. So shout out Justice Winslow. Before we wrap it up, do you want to give your uh, what's your take for the week? I have a take for this week. Oh, good. And I, I mean, it's a take that I have all the time, but I just never say it out loud. But I think that we should wrap Brooke Olsendam up for like a 10-year contract or whatever with this team because she's so great in everything she does. And I do really, I was thinking about this. I do really think that she does a good job of building relationships with the players over the over time and making them feel comfortable. Like you talked about with Shaden, how like, that rapport, I think, goes a long way on TV. And I just want her to be here forever, even though I know she's good enough that she could be leaving here at any moment. But we're so lucky to have her. She's so good. Everyone, you can see that the players respond to her really well. She's always well prepared. I just love her. Shout out Brickles and Dan. That's a great take. Brickles and Dan, best sideline reporter out there. What about it you, Tara? What's your take? I'm going to go with a really easy one that we just talked about. It. My take is you can't take a picture of a sunset and capture it. I'm with I'm with Justice Winslow on this one. Just you know, gonna... Justice Winslow is right about a lot of things. He's he right really about a is. Lot of things. Everyone, if they don't already, needs to follow him on Instagram and get his daily whiteboard inspirations because they are great. Oh, they're so great. And sometimes now that I know that since you said on this podcast that he was roommates with Grayson Allen, <laughs> there's part of me that wonders, I'm like, what did Grayson Allen think when he saw these whiteboard comments hanging up in their apartment together? <laughs> I don't know if he had it when they were with Grayson Allen. I think he started them during the, um, during the pandemic, but also I would love to know what Grayson Allen <laughs> thinks. Cause I, Ooh, I we need to go find out if they follow each other on Instagram, if they're still friends. <laughs> Uh, well, they did win that championship together and they're not going to unwin it. So maybe they're still friends. Yeah. All right. Well, Rose, it's been great to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for listening. You can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter and Instagram. Rose, where can folks find you? People can find me at Roselle Harding on Twitter and on Instagram. And also they can find us in our discord because we have a take as a discord now. And we'll put that link um in uh, the comments uh, when we post this episode. We sure will. And you can find the episode when it comes out on wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow the podcast at We Have a Take on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, for now, thanks everybody for listening and go Blazers! <laughs>